Heavenly Father, this morning, uh, it's a year-end kind of thing. And lots of stuff going through our heads, maybe. Maybe people are just eager to see this year end and start a new one. Who knows? But this morning, I pray that you draw some encouragement out of the story we're going to talk about today. You be the teacher who brings to the surface the small bits of truth we got to walk out with today and apply in our lives. And we'll let you take care of the revelation and the application. It's all about you and your work in our lives. I pray this morning will be an encouraging time for all of us. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to go back. Oh, the candle thing. Oops, I forgot about that. You know what? (sighs) Look over there, a bird. (laughs) I forgot about that. And there's no little kids here to light them, so I'm going to be a big kid. It's just because we have to burn the candles down, that's all. No, I'm kidding. It's, it's a nice celebration of the season still. It's awesome. I want to go back to a verse we just sang. Um, where is it? Here we go. Whoops, is it that one? Nope. There we go. Never once did we ever walk alone. Never once did you leave us on our own. You are faithful, God. You are faithful. You are faithful, God. You are faithful. The idea of never walking alone, that's kind of what I want to dig in today, of not being alone. And I know this past year, there, there have been a lot of struggles. There are individuals who are, well, they're having a rough go. This past year has been hell. It really has. And almost in the literal sense in many ways. It's just been a really rough, rotten year for, for individuals and families and in this world, a lot of crises, political garbage, depression, I tell you, the list just goes on. So we need to be reminded that really we are not walking this thing alone. And I want to bring your attention to a story in the book of Genesis because this story is really cool. There's the light thing. There we go. Hope. Hope for a new year. It's the last Sunday of 2017. It's going to be over in 13 hours in a little bit because I started early. 13 hours, and we hit a brand new year. And usually new year is used as a, I'm going to try harder for this. I'm going to make a resolution, and I'm going to stick to it for at least four days. You know, all that kind of stuff, whether it's a diet or whether it's a change of this or you're going to clean your closet or you say you're going to renovate that room that's been sitting empty or whatever unrenovated for a long time, all these projects that none of us have. New year. How do we approach the new year? Now, let me say this. It is a good time to put into action a plan you may have wanted to because it is kind of a new start. And sometimes we need these jump starts to get things done whether it's a birthday or whether it's summer, spring. These are all telltale times, seasons in life, where we like to make changes or changes happen to us. Now, this year, I know some people have had changes happen to them that they did not wish. There are others who've had really positive changes. I'm going to pick on Elizabeth Eby because uh, you guys had a change. You actually came to Hope Fellowship this year. It was a nice gift to us. We love you. We love all three of you. It's wonderful. and Your apartment's great where you guys live and uh, you've been an encouragement. That's, that's been unique. But I've also had the chance of hearing their hearts of the journey of how they got here. There are different individuals I've seen. They've 
gone through different journeys. There are people not here that have gone through difficulties. And the story I want to cover today that should bring us some hope is one you all know. The story of Joseph in the Old Testament in Genesis 37. Now, verse 37 made me think of Supertramp. You know, dreamer, you're nothing but a dreamer. Can you put your hands in your head? Oh, no, a dream. Okay, never mind. I'm not going to sing for you. That's for Simon. But the whole idea of dreamer, the dreamer boy. Now, this story is unique because it has six different stages that we're going to walk through today. And I think it's going to be helpful to see that each stage we can learn something from. I won't tell you what it is you can learn from it. I may try and highlight something you can pull out of it. But this story is quite unique. It begins in uh, Genesis 37, 5 to 11. We hear about this guy named Joseph, whom his father loves. I want to read it for you because um, you can't make make up some of this stuff. Um, I think the dad does a really big disservice. First of all, we give Joseph the hard time for dreaming and then talking about his dreams because that's, that's what he gets in trouble for. He has these dreams and he tells his siblings, hey guys, I had this dream and you guys, you know, because I, I, he had like 11 brothers as well and, he, and mom and dad. And so in his dream, he saw these stars. He said, uh, these stars bowed down to my star. And then he had another dream. They were doing some wheat gleaning in the fields and each of the brothers had their own sheaves and they all bowed down to mine. Isn't that so cool, brothers? That does not go over well in a family, especially a blended family. Do you guys realize that? Joseph was in a blended family. Ten brothers from a different mother and then he had another brother, Benjamin, from his real mother. Like, there's a lot of stuff going on in this. So Genesis 37, let's go there. If you've got your Bible, you're welcome to read, but you can just listen to. So Jacob, dad, settled again in the land of Canaan, where his father had lived. This is the history of Jacob's family. When Joseph was 17 years old, who's 17 here, anybody? You're 17? You're not 17, Rod. Your shirt might be, but no. Okay, so (laughs) 17 years old, serious life change happens. Um, He often tended his father's flocks with his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wives, Bilah and Zippah. Uh, But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. Oh, so now he's a tattletale too. How many siblings have been tattletales in the past? Have you ever had brothers and sisters where uh, they just rat out each other? And Oh, you're the one who rats out. Yes, because yeah. you're the youngest. <laughs> it happens. I know I did it in my family. My brother John's here. And uh, we, uh, it's either two against one all the time. You know, whether Wilf and John were against me or me and John were against Wilf or Wilf and John, whatever. It, it, there's always a little bit of this. Where we threaten each other to tattletale. So here we go. We have Tattletale Joseph who now goes on and does this. Listen to this. Now Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children. How's that for a wonderful start? You're my favorite. You know, we joke about that, our family reunions, you know, or when I do a lot of funerals, people stand up and give a eulogy, see, I was grandma's favorite. 
Well, this story begins by saying that Joseph really was his favorite, and Dad put it out there like this. Um, One day, he gave Joseph a special gift, a beautiful robe. But his brothers hated Joseph because of their father's partiality. They couldn't say a kind word to him. So not only have a, a, a big mouth who tattletales, now you have a singled out guy given fancy gifts. Obviously and clearly he's the favorite child. He's got the coat. Are you starting to see what's building up in family relationships here? Okay? You guys are like staring at me going, what? Give me at least a smile or a, mm-hmm, yes, we totally follow, got it. Lie, I don't care. So one night, Joseph had a dream and promptly reported the details to his brothers, <laughs> causing them to hate him even more. Listen to this dream, he announced. We were out in the field tying up bundles of grain. My bundle stood up, and then your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before it. Woohoo! I can read social cues, can you? So, you are going to be our king, are you? His brothers taunted, and they hated him all the more for his dream and what he had said. Then Joseph had another dream, as if he didn't learn the first time, and told his brothers about it. Listen to this dream, he said, the sun, the moon, mom and dad, and 11 stars bowed low before me. This time he told his father as well and his brothers, and his father rebuked him. What do you mean, his father asked, will your mother and brothers and I actually come and bow before you? But while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father gave it some thought and wondered, hmm, what could it mean? Something's going on here. Soon after this, Joseph's brothers went to pasture their father's flock at Shechem. And when they had been gone for some time, Jacob said to Joseph, your brothers are over at Shechem with the flocks. Don't you like that? Shechem. You can say that. Shechem. I'm going to send them. I'm going to send you to them. I'm ready to go, Joseph replied, eager beaver. Are you starting to see the personality type now? Young, immature. Yeah, just saying whatever he has to say. Go and see your brothers and the flocks on how they're getting along, Jacob said. Come back and give me word, as in... I want to know if they're behaving or not. He's, he's playing up the tattletale card now. Do, do you get that? It's, it's clearly a spying mission. The dad is playing a role. In it. First of all, the dad incites hatred by favoring his kid. All right? Bad. Now he uses all of it for his own purpose and sends him out as a spy to find out if they're doing okay. He doesn't need to send Joseph for that. He's got... How many other brothers and servants? And, but no, he sends Joseph. So off they go. So something happens. In verse 18 to 24, you caught the picture of the dreamer, nothing but a dreamer. The very thing he gets in trouble for. This will come back at the very end of the message. We're going to bridge it all to the dreamer. It's very, very important. So now life is in the pits. His brothers see him coming. I'm not going to read the whole story because it's too much. His brothers see him coming from a long way off. And go, There's that brother. See that coat? I can tell it's him from a mile away. Oh, I'm ready to kill him. Good, let's do it. All right, you in? Yeah, I'm in. You in? Yeah, I'm in. Good, let's do this. So they grab him. They strip him of his clothes, throw him in a cistern into a pit with no water. 
and they're figuring out what they're going to do. Let's, well, let's, let's just take them out. How are we going to do this? We've got to play our cards right here. We're going to get in trouble, you know? I've watched uh, Murdoch Mysteries. Somebody will figure this out. Okay, fine. Let's, let's, let's talk this through. Finally, they realize, okay, we're not going to kill him now. Reuben comes along and says, by the way, I think it was Judah was the one who said it. Well, I'll get to the name later. He's the one who wanted to kill Joseph, all right, and get rid of him. Reuben, thinking quietly to himself, thinks, hmm, we can't kill him. I, I, I got to save this guy's neck. Like, he's a good kid. Big mouth, yes. Still good kid. Ah. So he decides to convince his brothers not to kill him. While Reuben is gone, something scary happens. A caravan comes along. A caravan of slave traders. And he is sold from the pit. Reuben comes back to the pit and sees him gone. What'd you guys do? Oh, we sold him. Here's your split of the dough. Money. Sold him for money. And now they had to come up with a cover-up. And what they decided to do was tell their dad, Hey, Dad, is this your son's coat? Duh, we know it's his coat. Is this really his coat? And, and they dipped it in blood of an animal and made it look like he got torn to shreds. I wonder if they would have brought limbs or skin or something like None of that was sewn. Just, just uh, I'm thinking practically here. You know, that's, that's what you would think if you were a CSI agent. Said, Show me more evidence. It's not enough. But dad, he sees this coat. Says, this must be my son. And he grieves. His favorite kid, gone. Big, big loss. Stage one. He moves from a 17-year-old dreamer to now being hated even more. Lucky he wasn't killed thrown in a pit, sold, and now nobody can rescue him because nobody knows where he is. He doesn't have a GPS tracker. Nobody can find him. He's gone. He's good as dead. And now that dad believes he's dead, the brothers will forget about him too. And they do completely forget about him by the time the story progresses even more. Stage one. How would you do if you were suddenly sold out from your family or suddenly separated by some calamity? Let's say some massive event happened in this world uh, and you were separated from your family in some catastrophic way, what would you do? Don't cheer, okay? That's not what I meant. But what would you do in, in sadness? What would you do in despair, hope? Who would you look to? And so this is, this is the stage one. Stage two, life in the pits. Yes, so he gets uh, uh, picked up and sold into a caravan, um, but he gets to Egypt and a guy named Potiphar, buys him. This is a really well-known, well-respected man. Uh, let's go to verse 30, or chapter 39, verse 2, because this is really cool. Now, when Joseph arrived in Egypt with the Mishmaelite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, a member of the personal staff of Pharaoh. So pretty big way, all right? The king of Egypt. Potiphar was the captain of the palace guard. The Lord was with Joseph and blessed him greatly as he served in the homes of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. So Joseph naturally became quite a favorite with him. Potiphar soon put Joseph in charge of his entire household and entrusted him with all business dealings. From the day Joseph was put in charge, the Lord began to bless Potiphar for Joseph's sake. 
all of his household affairs began to run smoothly and his crops and livestock flourished. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph there, we didn't have to, he didn't have to worry, have a worry in the world except to decide what he wanted to eat. What a problem. So from slave to now running an entire household of the palace guard, like this is a pretty prominent role. He's, he's learning stuff here. Like, so from 17, we don't know how many years he was in this, but I want you to keep in mind as we tell this whole story, I want you to think of how many years he's away from his family. How many years the progression builds and builds and builds and builds. Because it's scary how many years it is. We don't know all the exact numbers, but they do give us some numbers as we go through the story. So Potiphar uh, is blessed because of uh, Joseph with him. And that is something significant. Who was with Joseph in this whole walk? Walk from home to Egypt. Obviously, God was with him. This is, this is the point of the story. Never alone. Well, then we have a little problem. You see, he's also good looking. Not only was he a smart donkey, okay, at home. Not only was he a big mouth with his dreams. Not only was he singled out with his dad. Dad didn't help things. But he's a good looking kid. And everything's going right for him. Don't, he's an easy jealousy target, okay, for anybody to be jealous of. His, Potiphar's wife notices, as if she just noticed, but she knew all along, but gravitated more and more towards him, found him attractive, and wanted to sleep with him. And she tried to tease him, come, sleep with me, come, no. Whatever she did, didn't work. He said, are you kidding my master is good to me, and this would not be right before God. I cannot do this thing. And she tried over and over until one day she really did a cloak and dagger on him. She ended up trying to tease him in, and he tried to escape. She grabbed his coat, evidence that he was in the room there with her, and he took off. He didn't do a single thing wrong. And she calls her husband, captain of the guard. Okay? If you're going to tick somebody off, that's not the guy to tick off, okay? He hears what happens. She clearly lies, sets him up for something he did not do, and he goes to jail for it. How many times have we been treated unfairly? How many times have we been lied about? Gossip story builds. How many times have we even been misunderstood? I grew up as a misunderstood kid it's my whole life. <laughs> you know, uh, nobody fully understood my heart and intent. You know, sure, I might have misbehaved a little bit, but, <laughs> but my heart was still good, and nobody took time to get to know me and find out what, who I really was. And I get all the excuses. How many times in your life, in your job, has somebody sabotaged you or somebody you know? You're never alone the whole time. You weren't. The story isn't over yet. That's the point of this story. The story's not over yet. Stage two. Becomes a servant in a very big house, and now, boom, stage three, goes in the slammer. He's done. He's in jail. He's in deep, deep doo-doo. This is not the place you want to be. And they did not have nice facilities like they do today with ping pong and and HDTV and and Game Boy and all that stuff. They had nothing like that. They, I'm, just think of how gross it must have been. 
and the conditions. No running toilets. They weren't invented. Okay, like, just think of the... Okay, he was just in Rich Boy's home, okay? Where he can pluck a grape and enjoy. But now he's in the pit, like worse pit than the pit he was in with his brothers. But the Lord was with him. And the captain of that guard knew it. He recognized there's something different about this kid. There's a, hmm, not sure. But it was the Lord. Have you ever observed a coworker or a person in public at a store, someplace, at a restaurant? You name your place where there's just something uniquely different about them. They had a, almost like a light about them that there's something neat about them. I wonder if either they're a believer or this or that. I've, I've seen that many, many times. That's what happened here. God does work in and through you. And something must have happened in Joseph's life. His attitude must have been different than you or I would have expected to be in that position. Because most people would pull off the negative, uh, everybody hates me, nobody likes me, go into the garden to eat worms, and we play the I'm the victim card. We know a lot of those people today because we have Facebook. You just put it all out there. Bleh. Look how terrible everybody else is. My life's this, blah, blah, blah. It becomes an unhealthy purging place of emotions that are unfiltered. Joseph must have had a good attitude. He must have looked at his circumstances somehow with a positive outlook or at least some kind of hope for the future. Making the best of what was right then and there. Not trying to look ahead to prepare something in the future. He, he had nothing. He's in jail. So he becomes a leader. Well, remember he had a couple dreams. He's now put in charge of the jail. The whole jail. He's in charge of it. God blesses him. And I think it said for a couple years. No, not in here. It's coming up. But then he has two people come to him cupbearer to the king, and a baker. They have dreams. And he, the dreamer boy, is approached, and he's asked to interpret these dreams. He said, tell me your dreams. Tell me about them. I have some experience. <laughs> he tells them what the dreams mean. The cupbearer, he tells him his dreams. Hey, it says in three days, you're going to be restored back to your position with the king. And oh yeah, and when you're restored as cupbearer to the king, please remember me. I beg you, don't forget me in here. You'll have a place of influence and a voice. Please. And the cupbearer said, no problem. He forgets. The baker hears this wonderful interpretation. He goes, that's so cool. Can you interpret my dream? So he tells him the dream, and Joseph says, well, yours is not so good. In three days, you're done. You're dead. Hey, I want my money back. You know, that kind of what happened. And it's exactly as it happened. The dreams were interpreted and played out exactly as Joseph 
had perceived. Obviously, God gave him a gift to perceive and understand these things. That's a pretty big stage. Stage four. In Genesis 41, it says, two years later, we have trouble when our internet's out for two hours. Okay? Calling, when's it going to be fixed? Come on, come on. When's our garbage going to be picked up? That's what's going on in, in our region right now. You know, we get all fussy and hussy over timing. Two years, he continues in jail. And suddenly something happens. The king, the pharaoh, has this dream. Let's see if we can go there because it's, it's a pretty cool dream. Uh, Genesis 41, uh, verse 9. Two years later, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing on the bank of the Nile River. And in his dream, seven fat, healthy-looking cows suddenly came up out of the river and began grazing along its bank. What a nice picture. Photoshop. Then seven other cows came up from the river. These were very ugly and gaunt. These cows went over and stood beside the fat cows. Then, this is gross, then the thin, ugly cows ate The fat ones. That ain't normal. (laughs) Just in case you're wondering. At this point, the dream, in the dream, Pharaoh woke up. Soon, he fell asleep again and had a second dream. This time, he saw seven heads of grain on one stalk with every kernel well-formed and plump. Then suddenly, seven more heads appeared on the stalk, but these were shriveled and withered and by the east wind, and these thin heads swallowed up the seven plump, well-formed heads. And the pharaoh woke up again and realized it was a dream. We hoped that was a dream. My goodness. The next morning, as he thought about it, the pharaoh became very concerned as to what the dream might mean. So he called for all the magicians, the wise men of Egypt, and told them about his dreams. But not one of them could suggest what they might mean. Then the king's cupbearer spoke up. Oh, oh, today I've been reminded of my failure. Whoops, what was I thinking? He said, some time ago you were angry with me and the chief baker and you imprisoned us in the palace. Do you remember that? I was right, he was wrong. Okay. In the place of the captain of the garden. One night the chief baker and I each had a dream and we each dreamt about its meaning. We were told the interpretation of the dream by this man named Joseph. Maybe he can help you. Well, that's a fine idea. Go get him. And so, finally, the wine bearer finally wakes up and realizes, oh, I forgot. He tells the king. So Joseph gets cleaned up, shaved, and stands before the king. And this is really cool. Pharaoh sent for Joseph at once and was brought hastily from the dungeon. After a quick shave and change of clothes, he went in and stood in Pharaoh's presence. I had a dream last night, Pharaoh told him, and none of these men can tell me what it means, but I've heard that you can interpret dreams, and that's why I've called you. No pressure. It's beyond my power to do this, Joseph replied. Would you have the gall to say that? Sorry, pops, can't do it. Can't do it. He says, it's not, it's beyond me. I cannot do it. Does he stop there? No. 
This tells you something about his relationship with God. However he knew God to be, this is how he pulled it out. It's beyond my power to do this, Joseph replied, but God will tell me what it means and will set you at ease. And Pharaoh told him the dream, blah, 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 tells him the story, blah, the head, the cows, and all that stuff. And then he finally tells the king, Pharaoh, here's what it means. There are seven really amazing, plump years of harvest coming. Great years. But they're going to be followed by seven horrific years of famine this world has not seen. And you need to appoint people and get ready for that. Use those seven years well, store stuff up, appoint leaders in charge of all these areas, blah, 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 blah. And there you go. That is the interpretation. Thank you, my king. And the king says, huh, gee, who else is better than the one who actually interpreted this properly to be wisdom and give oversight to this plan. You are now going to be that one. I am raising you from the dungeon and you are now second in command to me. He literally goes from rags to riches instantly. A place of respect. Remember, he's had some practice now. He had tremendous favor in Potiphar's home raised up into leadership in charge of the whole household, in charge of all the finances, in charge of all the business stuff. Do you see the grooming that's happening? There's some training going. Folks, if you're young and you're frustrated that you're not where you want to be and have all the leadership goals and recognition you want, will you chill and just rest in the fact that you're on a journey? There is no rival that God will raise you up as he wants to raise you up. All the self-motivated stuff to get you to where you want because you have some financial goal. Financial goals are great. But when that is your only goal and you cease to love people, we have a problem. Money is not the problem. It's the heart attitude. The idea of prominence, position, reputation. He didn't want that. He was raised up from within, and God did that. And then in jail, he became in charge of the jail and was well-respected there. And now, in charge of all of Egypt. This is a huge, huge stage. Pretty cool stage. I like that part, right? We all like that part? Good. Stage five. I love this. Genesis 41. How many years have passed, do you think? We've got a couple of years. So he had to have been on the trail from Israel to Egypt. Let's give it six months, a year. Then he ended up in Potiphar's house. It takes time to build up reputation and be in charge of everything. Give it a couple years, maybe, just for fun. Uh, and then in jail, at least two years, if not more. Okay, we just don't know for sure, but we're getting the years. They're adding up. Now Joseph has a son. He's married. So it takes time to have a son or two. You do know that. <laughs> so start adding all these years on, and you're starting to see there's a huge gap. Great time to forget. Joseph named his older son Manasseh. In Hebrew, it means causing to forget. For he said, God has made me forget all my troubles and everyone in my father's family. Wow. Joseph named his second son Ephraim, fruitful. For, the, for, for he said, God has made me fruitful in this land of my grief. Joseph does not blame his past or use his past as a crutch. He does not use his troubles as a crutch to glean sympathy and woe is me attitude. He is thankful 
and has a tremendous attitude. In the naming of his sons, he reveals his heart. He is honest about his troubles. It's okay to recognize, hey, I've been through a lot of crap. I've been through a lot of stuff. It's been painful. But my past does not determine my future, nor my attitude. We cannot forget that. And then he recognizes God's blessing. God was never alone. He's not alone now. Oops. Seven years of preparation. Okay, starting to see the numbers adding up now? Seven years of plump, wonderful years. Everything's wonderful. The storehouses are filling up. They had so much stored up food for this potential famine. And then the famine begins. Stage six. Family issues come back to haunt. (laughs) So here we have the reconciliation kind of story going on. Family issues. It took a few years of famine for the Israelites to realize, Joseph's parental family, say, hey, we're in trouble. We're starving. I hear this food in Egypt. Guys, go down to Egypt and get us some food. So they go down and get some food. He recognizes them. I don't know because of their shave or what. I'm not sure how. But he recognizes his brothers there. Maybe he recognized the colors. Maybe some memory came back and things are starting to come back. His memories of how he was treated all come flooding back. It's time to digest it all over again. He's now going to have to grieve again. Remember, he's forgotten about all of them. Because in my mind, I'm thinking, if you're like second in command of Egypt, wouldn't you at least take a train or a, a jet layer down to see your dad and see if he's still good? Wouldn't, wouldn't you do something like that because you have all the resources at your disposal? Wouldn't that make sense? I, I think so, but he didn't. Hmm. That must have been pretty deep hurt. So his brothers come and he tests them. He, he does some um, um, uh, sticking some stuff in their bags, makes them feel like they stole something, but he did the full setup. Uh, he ends up having a, um, a dinner. He sends them back home. I uh, said, get your, get your brother. Uh, how did he know that there was another brother, Benjamin? You see, the father said, I am not sending Benjamin. I've already lost my favorite. I'm not going to lose Benjamin too, the son of the wife I love deeply. That's why he loved them so much, because he loved the mom deeply. Finally, it was a setup to bring them. See, Joseph is trying to find out their attitudes of their heart. So they finally bring Benjamin, and they have this feast, a banquet, and he lines up all the brothers according to age. How freaky is that? You're with a guy you don't know, and suddenly, hey, are you noticing something here? Um, how do you know? Did you talk? No, I didn't say a word. And wait a minute. How come Benji down there is getting all the food? We got, mine's fine, but look at that. He's getting a ton of food. And the one brother says, oh, phew, at least they're treating him well. Good. Remember, we got to bring him back to dad. Or we're dead, you know? So that's what Joseph is doing. He's blowing apart the abundance on Benjamin, giving him over portions five times more than what everybody else is getting. Do you think it's obvious? Yes. A test. Then Joseph sticks a special cup, his cup, into 
Benjamin's sack of food. Sends them all off, and then he hunts them down. The final test. They can't believe it. They said, we didn't steal anything, because now they see these guys come and say, what are we, what's going on? Why are they chasing us down? These are, the, these are the Egyptian guards. We're in trouble. Well, somebody has stolen the cup. Search our bags. None of us stole a thing. Benjamin's bag, out comes the cup. Planted. This is where Murdoch really comes in handy. <laughs> and they're all hauled back to Egypt. And this part I love. They say they're going to keep Benjamin in jail forever. Keep him with them as a slave because of what he'd done. And Judah speaks up. Judah is the guy who wanted to kill Joseph. This is the final reveal. This is the final reveal of his heart. He begs, please don't be angry with me for my words I'm about to say. Please take me the right way. Don't take me the wrong way. Hear my heart in this. My dad, he's going to die if he doesn't get his son back. He, he said, don't lose this one. I will die of grief instantly if I lose this son. So please take me. I'll be the slave. I'll take his place. Just take me, not him. Because uh, my dad can't live through another lie. And boom. Joseph loses it. Runs off in the room. Boom. So having a hard time. It's an emotional roller coaster. Finally, the reveal. I am Joseph. Holy crap! all bow. Stars and sheaths bowing. Dream comes true. He finds out how dad is. Loves his dad. Misses his dad. This was scary. Now the men were very afraid because they realized <laughs> We have done something horrific and he's in a position to slaughter us for the evil we have done. And he doesn't. And (laughs) what's kind of funny, now they have to actually confess to dad. (laughs) Be sure your sins will find you out. (laughs) Dad, we lied. He's alive. He moves his whole family to Egypt. And they lived in prosperity. They lived with joy. And the Israelites numbered and numbered and numbered and grew in numbers and grew in numbers. The Pharaoh died. They'd forgotten who was who. And 400 years later, the place is overrun by Israelites. And guess what happens? Enter the story of Moses. All because of Joseph. He was never alone. Never alone. The dreamer boy, mocked for his dreaming, the thing they mocked him became the tool used to move him to the place he was destined to be. Be careful who you mock and what you mock them for. The very thing we think is a youthful immaturity can become the greatest gift in a person's life later once it's well honed. Careful on your judgments. Attitude does matter. Trust matters. 
These two are huge. This is what I want you to leave with today. Whatever circumstance you're facing or have faced in 2017, look with hope to 2018. Not that the calendar year changes a thing, but up here it changes. A fresh start, a continuation, letting, letting go of the past, letting go of a hurt, forgiving somebody. Do yourself a favor and forgive somebody before this year's out. Somebody you're harboring an anger against, will you just forgive them? Not because God will bless you for forgiving them, because it's for you to forgive. God said, forgive as I have forgiven you. Just as I've forgiven you, forgive others. It's for your sake, your good to forgive, so healing may come to you and your attitudes. Joseph is the perfect picture of being honest through all the trials, acknowledging all the garbage, and still coming out with an attitude of recognizing what's happened and how to move forward. Each circumstance he chose to learn. Now, how many times would he have screwed up? They didn't tell us the stories of when he had a negative attitude. I am certain he did. He was human. And we're allowed to have our hissy fits. Just don't live there. And don't let that be the norm of your life because Joseph was recognized for his pattern of trustability and good wisdom and words. The pattern is what was believed, not the individual three or four times. It was the pattern of them. What's your pattern? How do people know you? Do you like wine or are you a whiner? There's a difference. If you're a whiner, nobody wants to be near you. You become a negative source, a negative grunt. But you could enjoy a glass of wine and celebrate communion, fellowship, whatever it is, forgiving one another, just as in the new covenant you have been forgiven. Start this year off with a weight of unforgiveness tossed because you can forgive. Let the Holy Spirit bring those names to your head in your heart. Walk out free. And as Joseph did, he named his two kids as a memory of what God has done and what he was doing. God has allowed me to forget the pain. Another translation says, he has forget, I've forgotten, the, no, the bitterness has left me. Manessa, the bitterness has left me. The memories don't, but the bitterness. And I am being fruitful now. Let's look at 2018 as a fruitful year and for this church too, this church family. However we function, however we are, I have much hope for this next year. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, will you work in our hearts? Will you soften the areas of our hearts that have been hardened from pain done to us. Where there is unforgiveness, will you soften us and give us the willingness to forgive? Can you do that for us, please? Because on our own, we can't muster it up at all. May we learn to walk in absolute trust that you will never walk without us. We will never walk alone. You will never leave us 
or forsake us, abandon us. May that build trust into us that when we face trials in this next coming year, we don't have to be afraid. We can have an absolute trust you were there with us, walking through it with us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Oops. Amen. Let there be light. Only when we pray does good stuff happen. Darn, I missed that one.